Have you ever wanted to connect with someone, but you stopped yourself? Excuses to Connect is a podcast about actively creating the conditions that make meaningful connections easier. In other words, you can make excuses to connect. Join me, Richard Lee Tai, as I have conversations with experts, friends, and strangers on their struggles and successes when it comes to human connections. As a listener, I hope that you can take these insights and find excuses to connect with more people. After all, you never know how any connection can transform your life. Hey there, welcome to episode four of the Excuses to Connect podcast. I'm so grateful for all the support I've received so far. I have some exciting news to share with you. As of today, I am launching a coaching service. I'm labeling myself as a connection coach. I believe that connection is such an important part of a person's well-being and overall happiness in life. So I want to help people build more meaningful connections with themselves and others. If this is something that interests you, check out my website, excuses2connect.com for more information. On to the topic of today's episode. I am joined by Stephen No. When I think of all the people I know, he is the prime example of a connector. Wherever he goes, he has the ability to create communities of like-minded individuals. This includes hosting events for people to have conversations on deeper topics like self-worth and vulnerability, connecting musicians to perform music at hospitals, and giving back through the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers. Most recently, Stephen has been leading a movement to make reporting hate crimes more accessible after he experienced an anti-Asian hate crime in Vancouver back in April 2021. This episode explores connections in the context of developing new relationships, but also leveraging connections to advance social justice. If you want to support what I'm doing, remember to check out the show notes of the episode. There's a link there to leave a voice message, as I'd love to be able to hear from listeners. And there's also a link to buy me a coffee. This is a website that supports content creators and you can donate some money on a one-time or monthly basis to quote unquote, buy me a coffee. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Steven, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thank you, Richard. I'm excited to be on this podcast. Yeah, awesome. So just as some context for listeners, uh, Steven and I know each other through something called Living Room Series, which I discovered just over a year ago through going to an online event that you were hosting. So how about you tell listeners about what Living Room Series is? Absolutely. So Living Room Series is something that I started with my friend Gordon back in 2017. And it's really finding a way to connect with people on meaningful topics. Sometimes when we go to networking events, the topics always revolve around, you know, where are you from? What do you do? What's your profession? But we don't really get to the heart of conversation, which is, you know, who are you? What inspires Mm -hmm. you? Uh, What drives you? And we really go through topics on things like vulnerability, identity, self-worth. And these are topics that happen once a month. And they're hosted in discussion groups and facilitated by one of our moderators. And so that's what Living Room Series is. Mm -hmm. Could you talk more about like the inspiration? Because I know it's based on like 18th century fair salons and that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it is it's based on 18th century French salons. And it was first inspired by actually an article that uh, we read in the New York Times. And it's about this guy in New York who would host these French salons in his New York apartment, where he just bring in different guests from all walks of life, whether it's in science and arts or music. And when I saw that article, I, I showed it to my friend Gordon. I said, hey, we can recreate this in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Like we create our own spin on it. 
And fortunately at that time, I was living in Calgary and my apartment had this beautiful common room space. It's not, it's not my space, but it's like belongs to the apartment yeah. uh, complex. And it looked just like a living room. It had a fireplace, it had couches, it had a kitchen table, like this grand place. And Gordon and I was like, why don't we just try it? Why don't we just invite different friends and different walks of life? Yeah. And we have three or four speakers kind of share their story about what inspires them. And that's kind of where it kicked off. Right. It maxed out at 80 people and just grew from there. Wow. I mean, I, I'm still yet to attend an in-person version of Living Room Series, so I'm looking forward to it at some point. This is just one of many examples that you've created to connect with people. So what is it about connecting people together that's important to you? It's a great question. And ultimately, I think humans are social creatures, right? If you look back on when we came out through the tribal days, we had our own little tribe that goes out and hunts together and gathers food. Mm -hmm. um, but besides the sociological context, just for me, I've always been someone who's been surrounded by friends and family growing up. And so for me, I get so much joy, you know, learning about other people, understanding where they're coming from, really being as a kid, like, hey, what kind of cool toy are you playing with? And so for me, it's so enriching to understand people's experiences because, I mean, I have my perspective, but also learning about others, it just gives that sense of, of joy and and, and feeling inside. It's, it's hard to describe, but connecting is, is, is such a key part of who we are as humans. Mm -hmm. were, were there ever any times that you were shy? Because I know you're like, when I think of people, you're like a prime example of a connector. I mean, at this point in your life, but can you talk about, <laughs> were there times that you were shy? Yes, uh, there's two that come to mind right away. I, I remember, I've actually been, quite a quiet kid leading up until high school and I think it wasn't until like grade eight grade nine I actually went to this new school and that's kind of where my like personality sh like shined out mm -hmm. uh it was a you know, more of an artsy school and where we actually addressed our teachers by first names and we painted our lockers but the idea behind a school is all about self-expression mm -hmm. and I remember being quite stunned at that time I was like whoa what is going on here right I uh, I'm Asian I grew up in a, in a household where it's very much more traditional uh, and going to this school it really opened my eyes on what it's like to be fully creative and fully expressive so that's one time mm -hmm. when things really uh, came out when it came to being shy uh, another moment that I guess really accelerated things was that in the third year of university I went on exchange I went for a one-year exchange over to Singapore Mm -hmm. And before that, I've never traveled abroad. I've actually never lived uh, outside of my home city of Vancouver. Right. And so that's the first time I realized, man, okay, I got to really learn how to do this. I got to do this with intention. Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty lonely journey being in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So how, how was it moving to Singapore and not knowing anyone and needing to develop that, basically your roots again? Oh, it was definitely a shock, right? It was a culture shock. And we did do orientation before going. The school organizes like things to expect. And they said one of the biggest things to expect is a culture shock, right? Mm -hmm. You're always going to be comparing things to home. You're probably going to get a little homesick. You're like, wait, why are things here so different from back in Vancouver? And I remember being the, in the first week I was there, I was feeling lonely, to be honest, right? I didn't know mm -hmm. anybody. Also, it was really hot. Like it was incredibly hot. So I was sweating within five minutes of walking outside. So it was yeah. like physical stress, like social stress, like, and like emotional stress. I was couldn't mm -hmm. really understand um, 
couldn't really connect with my fellow peers at that time. So that's when I really looked inside and I was so fortunate because I so happened to go to a library of all things. I, I love reading. And, mm-hmm. and that was my first taste into personal development. And I picked up a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And that's really set me on course to being really intentional about uh, connecting and understanding myself better. Yeah, I, <laughs> I find the title very ironic because you're like sweating so much seeing a book how hot it was. <laughs> So what, what, what was it about that? Like, what did you learn from that book specifically? I love, I love this book. I still have this book, like in my washroom. Like I probably read it over a hundred times. Yeah. It's a short little snippet, but I think a, a big part of the book is talks about how a lot of the obstacles and stressors in our life are actually just small things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, like, will it really matter 10 years from now? If you drop the glass on the floor, will you, and the glass of milk spills on the floor, like, would right. it really matter a year from now? And it's just really shaking that context and our, our mind in terms of what we encounter in life. When we encounter life with ease, uh, from a place of being relaxed, it really attracts other people. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the passages in the book, there's like 100 tips, 100 stories, and they're all like two, three pages. And one of them talks about comparison. Quite often when we hear people talk about, you know, oh, I just got this new car. And sometimes we feel compelled to show off ourselves. Like, oh, I got this other new car, right? Just right. to show off like one up others. But that creates a lot of social stress. And after reading that book, I felt that I was starting to approach life and connecting with a lot more ease than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about recently is how part of our difficulty in connecting with people comes from our perceived distance from them. And this distance, I've often seen it in the form of uh, especially if someone's seen as like an authority or expert, it's like, oh, this long list of achievements or these fancy titles, it does make me feel like it's harder to approach them or connect with them. I'd like to hear your take on that because I think this relates to this concept of like just not sweating the details. Yeah, it's an easy phrase. I, I, I love to jump on this, right? And it's an easy phrase to say that it's all like, it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of it is, right? Um, yeah. But I want to hone in on your word perception, right? Because you talked about perception and perceiving. Yeah. As humans, if we're able to adjust our perception of how we interpret connecting, it could go a long way. Let's use a concrete example, right? Mm-hmm. Dating, right? Dating. Yeah. You see cute girls sitting across from you. And uh, you might perceive that, oh, maybe they're taken. Maybe they don't want to talk to me. Maybe they, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're stuck in our head with that perception, we're going to end up in a place where we're lonely and never dating at all. Right. <laughs> so um, quite often it is in our head. And I think when it comes to connecting with people outside of the dating context or within, I think people do want to connect. And I think it's about taking that first step because good or bad in our society, it's, it can be quite individualistic depending mm-hmm. on which city you are. Some cities are better for connecting, some are less. And it's about taking that first initial step and, is that friend or foe mentality. And there's ways to do this. There's like books on this. There's many books I've read called like The Power of Charisma. Um, the, the don't, what's that really big Dale Carnegie book? How to uh, Win Friends and Influence yeah. People. Yeah. The cheesy title, but the tips in there 
absolutely apply. Right. So there are ways to get past this mental hurdle and people will feel so, so grateful that you reached out. Maybe one out of like 20 might not, but that's one out of 20. You have 19 other friends. <laughs> right. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, you met your current partner, Michelle, because you, you had approached her in a coffee shop, right? That's right. Yeah, I had met my current partner, Michelle. Um, she was sitting at a Starbucks and I was sitting across from her. And it's so funny because at that time, I was waiting for a friend to meet him for lunch. And so I had an hour to kill. So I was reading a book and the book talked about the five second rule. And just like making that approach to anybody, whether it's friends or colleagues or a partner. And then after I finished reading that and I was watching a YouTube video the day before on the same topic, uh, I saw Michelle across from me. I'm like, well, you know, she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I got five seconds to make a move. Let's go. Yeah. And I just walked up to her. And the, the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. We're like married now. We're expecting a kid in a month. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's fascinating how life works out. <laughs> you have to have been in that right right place and time together and have the motivation to take this step and just change your whole trajectory. It all starts a conversation, honestly. Like it's it maybe not necessarily the right place, right time, but it's really yeah. that initial step of conversation. And it's led to this incredibly amazing life. Like this is someone I never knew. I never knew Michelle before. We have no, probably like five mutual friends who are very distanced. And, right. and this was like, even during the times of Tinder and Bumble, like we didn't even use online dating. We just went straight in person and, right. and connected. So I'm curious, like what your actual approach was, like what you, what you said to her, if you remember. Oh, I, I, my icebreaker was like, can you like look over my stuff? I'm going to use the washroom. <laughs> that was my icebreaker. And then she said, yeah, sure. And then I knew I broke the ice. So I went to the washroom, even though I didn't really need to go. I, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right. and so I just came back and I just like started a conversation. Hey, thanks for looking over our stuff. Like, what are you working on right now? Cause she's on her laptop. And then we just sparked a conversation. Great. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. I'll have to use that. <laughs> It's really about having the right intent. You know, one of yep. our mutual friends, Tony, is really good at this. Mm-hmm. And he talks about having the right intent going into a conversation. Yeah. For, for listeners that are listening to this, you can listen back to episode one where I interviewed Tony. <laughs> I know uh, earlier we were talking about how you did an exchange to Singapore. And then later, I know you went to Ho Chi Minh City as well and to Calgary. Um, you, you told me that like once you landed in Ho Chi Minh City, you had pretty much like locked down the formula of like how to connect with people. So what what is this formula? Because I know you've mentioned some tips already, but like what is sort of your structure trying to create these connections? <laughs> Such a great question. Uh, yeah, just to add context to that. So I, I lived in Singapore for a year. I figured things out. And then from there, I worked and fortunate to live and work in different cities where I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And every single time it's about, ooh, let's figure out how I can like recreate my network as fast as possible. So I did it in Istanbul. I did it in Calgary. I did it in Toronto. Uh, even when I traveled to Taiwan and China, I did there as well. And so when I, my last most recent stop was in Ho Chi Minh City and I was going to be there for a year and a half for work. And so in terms of, I guess, a formula to extend, I could write it down into a formula. The very first thing is, is coming at any conversation from a place of intent. We -hmm. always approach, there's always going to be that sense of fear that's inside of our body. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, know that people are willing and open to chat with you. 
if you come into some conversation with no real expectation, it's just to learn and you're curious about them. It could just start with something as simple as, hi, how are you doing? Right. Even the words, hi, how are you doing? But the right tone can really transform the conversation because it could be, hi, how are you doing? Like a very nervous way, as opposed to, hi, like my name's Steven, how are you doing? Right. Something as simple as, you know, how are things? And so in the first, when you ever move to a new city, the first month, really throw yourself out into events, even though you don't want to. So for example, I remember it was a Saturday night. I was like, man, I don't have any friends here. Let's figure out what to do. So I scrolled on Facebook and there was a comedy class coming up mm. in like two hours. I'm like, okay, like this is a signal. Let's do it. So I just hopped into like uh, a motorcycle at that time. And then I went to that class and then that my network just really spurred up from there. So it starts with that. And if you want to get even more granular, right, from there on, like you ask for people's numbers and text them or WhatsApp them right away. And then just like create some kind of gathering, get together, get to know them afterwards and just kind of builds up in there. Mm -hmm. You make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) But I, yeah, no, I I get what you're saying because it is um, about, as you said before, like taking these first steps and keeping an eye out for these opportunities and like, what's your intention going into it? Because there are always lots of opportunities to connect with people or to create your own gatherings and connect with people. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It always just starts with a smile, right? I mean, it's, it's approaching every conversation from a place of curiosity. Even the other day, I was just chatting with someone at the cashier lineup. If you want to practice, practice at people at stores because they're forced to chat with you, right? Right, exactly. Right? And you kind of build up from there. But I, I think I want to stress that this is a, it's a learning skill. It's something that I intentionally have been working on. And in Ho Chi Minh City, it kind of evolved to every single month I would host like what I call unwind weekends where I just bring together friends to my place just to have wine and catch. And my first unwind weekend was on my birthday. I think I had like eight people. Uh, five of them were my coworkers because they felt bad that no one was oh. coming to my birthday. Yeah. And then two were like old friends. But then, you know, it kind of grew from eight people to 10 people to 15 people to 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is not for everybody. You don't need to have massive gatherings, but yeah. what I'm saying is that it starts with intent. Right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because it, it looks like a proto version of like living room series where you're already inviting people over to, to hang out. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I know one thing I were chatting about before we started was that in your initial journey with having conversations with others, you'd sometimes get like distracted, like look over their shoulder and not be fully present. I'm wondering if you could explore that a bit more. Yeah, definitely. So when I was first learning how to connect and, and meet people, I think I was caught in this rat race of, okay, how many people should I meet with? And like, I was always looking out for the next person and conversations wouldn't be very, I guess, deep per se, and just yeah. not fully present. Yeah. And it wasn't until my cousin called me out on this. I'm so glad you did. So thank you, Elaine, for calling me out on this. <laughs> because yeah. she'd be like, Stephen, I noticed that you would look over my shoulder, like, you know, 10 seconds into a conversation. And I was. Right. And I realized that sometimes it's not about the quantity, right? It is about the absolute quality of the conversation. I think at that time, and this was around before I started Living Room Series, is that I was afraid of going into deeper topics, mm. right? I was, I thought, you know, conversations, hey, what kind of beer are you drinking? Like really light hearted topics, but 
Now I actually really enjoy going into the deeper stories and the deeper, and maybe that's a factor of living room series because at living room series, we do talk about meaningful topics that are not addressed in a day-to-day conversation. Mm-hmm. So that has been a evolution. Uh, I have definitely seen changes in myself in the last three, four years in the way I talk to people and the topics and the way I share about my own personal journey too. So that has been a, it's been a great journey, but definitely something I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, I'd see it sort of as like the transition between small talk and having deeper conversations. And I know, I mean, for Living Room Series, you and Gordon were attending all these networking events where it seemed very superficial, like, what do you do for work? <laughs> and that's the sort of conversation that's like, I think to have quality connections, you need to have deeper and more vulnerable conversations. Yeah, it's, it's true. And also one thing to add to that, right? our society is so full of labels right it's always like oh how do i label you how do i bucket you how do i figure out where to slot you right but for me when i approach conversations i actually rarely talk about someone's profession i actually don't know i don't really care and maybe i don't care but to me it's not as important yeah what's important to me is who you are right for example you richard you're getting into coaching i'm curious to know like how'd you get into it or what inspired you that kind of stuff i find is important Mm -hmm. to me yeah, the way I see it, it's like, it's not about what people do. It's like why people do it because the why will reveal their values and their identity and so on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because y- you do so many things too. <laughs> so maybe I'll ask you that question because in your profile, you're a musician and a social entrepreneur and lawyer and all these things. So what is your why? Yeah, the, the why for these groups is really about community. Mm-hmm. It's about creating a community around my own personal interests. Uh, so whether even before this, I started something called HUM back in the day and HUM stands for healing using music. It's a prime example because I'm also a musician and I wanted to find a community of other musicians who wanted to perform music to spread happiness and joy to people's lives. Right. Not necessarily to show concerts, but like to play at you know, the Ronald McDonald house, at hospitals, at elderly care homes and finding that community of musicians that I could really connect with and, and, and get inspired with. So a big part of it is community at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. whenever I start a new venture, it's like, what's the community here? Like, how do we create a community? I think in today's world, and especially during these recent year or two during COVID, we really saw the importance of connection. If anything, it really revolved, hey, this is an important thing. Mm-hmm. And so when we start building up these communities of like-minded individuals, I mean, they don't have to be like-minded in the sense that they all look the same, like diversity is important, mm-hmm. but having this, this powerful group of fellow highly energized individuals can really push you further in life in that sense. And it can really shape your perspective on things. Mm. How would you define community? Well, for me, community is just, a collection of individuals who just enjoy chatting with each other or have like a common vision, a common goal, common purpose. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I am also part of the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, and that's a community of lawyers who are Asian, I guess from the name, but also lawyers who are who want to give back to community, who want to mentor other students, who want to advocate for those who don't have a voice and who want to give back. And so that's a subset of lawyers who want to do that. Yeah, there's lawyers who are really 
focused on making money and like being partner and which is fine right but this is part of FACO is those who who are successful but also want to give back so to me that is community it is a collection of individuals who have a perhaps common vision or common purpose or common goal mm -hmm. I know you've touched on this already but I'd like to delve deeper here it's Please, like, yeah. how do you build community because I, I know you said you have all these shared interests, but then like, what is the process actually like from your initial idea of wanting to start something and then actually facilitating and growing these communities? Because do, I don't think it happens overnight. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, yeah. I, I love talking about this because uh, I, I have created all these different groups through my ventures. It starts with being clear on where you see a gap and how you want to fill it in. So for example, for living room series, I saw a gap in that there weren't any group people who groups that were just talking about meaningful things and who wanted to connect on a deeper level. And so when you see a gap, it's like, hey, I could fill in that solution, right? And so you start with that kind of vision. And then you start by just finding friends who you think might be interested in this and just like chatting with them about it. Mm -hmm. I, and you just, it builds from there. And so whenever you're creating any kind of venture or, or social movement, it does not just yourself. You do need two or three people around you who are the core members. And I just created one recently mm -hmm. to really alleviate, alleviate barriers to reporting hate crimes. Like that's another community I created mm -hmm. or movement per se. There's something I like to call like, there's like a three bucket theory when it comes to creating kind of movements. Mm -hmm. First, you're gonna have anyone you talk to, they're gonna fall into three, one of three buckets. The first is what I call the champions. So the moment you mention the idea, they're like, yes, like I'm on board. Like, this is totally amazing. Right. Let me know how I can help. Like, yeah. those are what I call the champions. They don't really know what the idea is per se, but they're, they support the idea, right? Yeah. They're there, right? The second bucket individual is what I call the fence sitters, right? They're like, that sounds great, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I might like it, I might not, but they're like on the fence, which is mm -hmm. fine, right? And the very third bucket is you're always going to have this, is you're going to have like haters. Yeah. You're like, this idea is stupid. Like, this has already been done, blah, 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 blah. Like, why would you want to do this, right? Yeah. And so you're going to have these three buckets of individuals. It's easy to get discouraged by haters, but know that there's always going to be that subset of, mm -hmm. of people you talk to. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that when you're starting a community or an idea or a movement, you try to focus on the champions. And then from there, once it builds up, you start bringing in the fence sitters. Right. The haters will always be haters, so don't even worry about them. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you start, and that's how I've grown Living Room Series to six chapters across the world. We've had more than 2,000 attendees, uh, even more actually, come out to our events in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so that's one formula, per se, to get it set up. Yeah. I, you're amazing. I just wanted to say this is like, man, you're doing all this sort of stuff that I'd love to do. Too. I mean, I am doing it in my own way, but it's just amazing to see how much you've been able to grow these initiatives. So I, I know you just touched on one of the most recent gaps you've noticed is within reporting hate crimes, and you created a website for it, fixpolicereporting.ca. So there's a quote on there I'd like to get your thoughts on it's from margaret mead and it says never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it is the only thing that ever has so what does that quote mean to you and why did you include it on your website it's a quote that i heard many many years ago and it's never been more true uh, than it is now any kind of change in society it does take 
a committed few individuals to really speak up and to really move the needle forward. So for context, I mean, back in April, um, during COVID, COVID has really opened up a lot of stressors in people's lives. Yeah. But one of them has really seen the gaps of anti-Asian hate crime, right? There's blaming the Chinese for causing COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I'm well aware of it, but it wasn't until April when I had my own hate crime incident happen to me. And I was absolutely stunned and shocked and I was taken back, obviously. But during that time, when I tried to report my crime to the police, because everybody talks about, you know, you must report, you must report, you must report. Mm-hmm. Hate crimes are underreported. I've seen the news and the advice from the government. And so when I tried to call the police, I was waiting on the phone line for more than 30 minutes, which is unreal, waiting on the phone line for 30 minutes. And also mm-hmm. when I tried to report online, there are only forms in Chinese. And so I saw, similar, I saw a gap, right? I saw right. a gap, similar, I saw a gap and I saw a solution. We got to fix this. And so whenever you need to change anything, it really just takes like a small group of really loud, like committed individual to, mm-hmm. to help along. So that quote means a lot. And I think Martin Luther King started his movement as well that way and Rosa Parks. You look at all these major leaders in society back in the day, yeah. it's all from banding together as a small group to, to make change. Well, I mean, this connects to your earlier idea too of just having these champions, like these vocal supporters that are with you from the get-go to help move things forward. Because I know um, shortly after that uh, hate crime had occurred, you had made a Facebook post about it and how you wa- you didn't want to remain silent about this and that you wanted to act, advocate for meaningful change. And then one thing led to the next, and then you were connected with different news outlets, and then those news outlets connected with you with other places too. So I'm wondering if you could talk about that journey here, because I think it highlights a very interesting perspective of, I know we've been talking a lot about like connections of like socially to, you know, just connect with new people, but I think connection in this context of promoting social justice, I think is very interesting. So if you could touch on that. Yeah, and I'm gonna say something a little more controversial. Yeah. Um, and I, because I don't think it's been captured in media and I don't think it's been captured really in any outlet. When it comes to starting social movements, a lot of people approach it from a place of hate or anger. Mm-hmm. And I could see why, right? They've been, they've been uh, wronged and they feel injustice. Like we got to fight, we have to fight the police, we have to fight the government, we have to fight others. There's right. a lot of anger and there's a lot of anger in social media. There's a lot of anger in the news. I recognized that from the get-go and I wanted to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. And my approach is actually from an intent of love and kindness. And it's, it's odd, right? Because you think that when it comes to social justice, it's all about fighting for what you deserve. But at the end of the day, there's different ways of approaching it. There's just a lot of noise when it comes to, to fixing racism per se. And there's a lot of shouting. You know, at the end of the day, no one likes to be shouted at. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be shouted at. The police don't like to be shouted at. The government doesn't like to be shouted at. Whenever you're being shouted at, you end up climbing up, right? And you end up revolting back. And so when I look at history, when you look at the approach of Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X, Malcolm X really approached that movement from a place of anger and, and, and fear. And whereas Martin Luther King approached 
his movement with like love and kindness. And you look at Mahatma Gandhi, nonviolent protests, right? Mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela, these are all Barack Obama, for gosh sakes, right? Similarly. And so there's no Malcolm X Day, but there's a Martin Luther King Day. And there's, you know, I don't mean to make connections like myself as the same as them, but their underlying approaches are a place of love and kindness. So when it came to starting off this movement, it is about asking for help. Like, here's why it matters, right? Um, this will affect our friends or families or loved ones. I'm not here to hate the police. I'm saying there's a better way. And that's how I approach all my meetings as it leverages up to different politicians, different government leaders. I'm saying, hey, like, I'm not here to bash the government. I think we have a common interest here. And our common interest is to make our society safe and welcoming for all residents, all visible minorities. And you see that relief from their faces when I say that. Hmm. And it's like, and now that we have a shared interest, like here is my solution. We need to provide a way to report hate crimes online in English and in other languages. Right. Otherwise, you're not going to have people reporting. My mom's not going to report a hate crime because she doesn't speak English fluently. But you have a way to report it online in Chinese, she'll do it for mm-hmm. sure. And that's been the approach, Richard. Yeah. I mean, what it reminds me of is like this visual of rather than putting the issue between you and the other person, that's putting the issue in front of you, like on the table. So both of you can look at it. It's not like this confrontational us versus them um, mentality going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it is not, right? And so it, it's a different approach and that it is about, it does relate to the podcast and what you're sharing because it is about connections and these people that, I've reached out to who've helped me and I'm so grateful. And it's people I've met at like parties or at like events or at like community work or it's these just different walks of life that I'm like, well, I, I'm in this position, I guess, privilege where I have these friends. Let's, let's move together towards this movement to stem this rise in hate crime. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could touch on where this journey is at now, because I know you started, this started in April. And then a whole bunch of things have happened between April and now and where where this sort of movement's at at this point. Yeah, definitely. So depending on when this podcast is going to be released, it might yeah. be completely different. <laughs> uh, but as of July 2021, um, so I started, this, this incident happened to me on April 15th. I did a post about this on social media the same night and it just really snowballed. It, like as, as Richard mentioned, it went to different news outlets. It I've been speaking at different events. Uh, it's been leveraging up. The momentum has been massive. And so what's happened so far is that within a month, within one month, the Vancouver police have changed their website. Mm-hmm. And there's now a way to report hate crimes online in English and seven other languages. And in fact, I've been pressing on them further through kindness and love. Uh, they're they're going to add five more languages. So they're mm-hmm. going to add Farsi, Arabic, Hindi, a whole bunch, right? So they're mm-hmm. going to add that. Actually, I just had lunch with them. I had a thaw with them two days ago, actually, you know, yeah. just to really connect on a personal level, right? And right. so get them on our side. So that's Vancouver's change. We're leveraging Vancouver to make changes across British Columbia and then across Canada. The greater vision is that in Canada, we have over 7 million visible minorities. And 7 million people cannot report a hate crime unless they call a non-emergency line. Mm-hmm. We can't stick to old status quo anymore. We need to change. And so right now where the movement's at is really leveraging to other cities. And so I've been having meetings with ministers, with heads of police. 
And I'm hopeful that we'll start to see some changes in cities across Canada, and at least more than just Vancouver. Right. I think it's super important to have these personal connections there. Because like at the end of the day, like they're still human too. <laughs> and you're still human and being able to connect on that level rather than seeing each other as enemies. Um, I think approaching from this place of love and kindness is how the world can be changed on a much more meaningful level. No, it's true, right? We, we are we are all humans. Everyone I talk to, we're all human at the end of the day. The, the two police officers I had lunch with the other day, we're all humans. We have families, we have activities on the weekend, like this is our jobs, but we're human at the end of the day. And that's the, that's the key part, right? Connecting on a human level versus like us versus you. I think that's a nice note to end off on. For guests that want to reach out to you or learn more about what you're doing, where would you want to direct them? Yeah, for sure. They could follow me on Instagram at, at Stephen Nogo. <laughs> so it'll be on the show notes. Uh, yeah. If you want to follow the movement here, we have a way for you to support. Because one way people are like, hey, how do I take action? What can I do? You could send a support letter and it's in less than 10 seconds. You go to the website, fixpolicereporting.ca. I already pre-wrote the letter for you. You just click one button. It populates your email client. You click send. And it goes out to the, the important people that need to get this kind of email. So mm -hmm. uh, we've received thousands of emails so far, which is, we really appreciate it because this every single email matters. Um, and then aside from that, check out Living Room Series. Uh, you can look at us up on Facebook or even on the web and hope to see you at one of our events. Yeah, I hope to see listeners there too, because I have, I, I help out behind the scenes for Living Room Series too. Well, Stephen, I felt like this was a very insightful and inspiring conversation. So I'm so happy to have had you as a guest. Yeah, thank you, Richard. I, I'm grateful for you. I appreciate the, the time to chat with you on an early Tuesday morning and yes. to really kick off the day with inspiration <laughs> and awesomeness. So thank you. Uh, thank you for all the work you do behind the scenes. And uh, this is great. I'm excited to see where this takes off to. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember to check out the show notes of the episode where you can find a link to my website, excusestoconnect.com. There, you can find out the other initiatives that I'm working on. The intro and outro music were written by Megan Rennie. You can check out her Instagram and SoundCloud in the show notes. There are also links to leave a voice message as I'd love to hear from listeners can leave a comment or ask a question that might be featured in a future episode. Lastly, there's a link to Buy Me a Coffee. This is a website that supports content creators where you can donate some money on a one-time or monthly basis. If you love what I'm doing and want to support, you can buy me a metaphorical coffee. Finding excuses to connect is what I love to do, what I'm good at, and what I think the world needs more of. Consider sharing this podcast with anyone who might benefit from it. I hope you have a wonderful day and make some new connections. After all, you never know how any connection can transform your life.